Welcome to the Data Knowledge Action for Urban Systems podcast series. In this series, we shall explore systems used to build intelligent urban systems, technology used to innovate systems capable of collecting, storing, processing, analyzing, and evaluating data on the most prevalent health-related issues in cities' different sector, like transportation, employment, housing, public health, and public space. This series is brought to you jointly by CoData, the Committee on Data of the International Science Council, Urban Health and Wellbeing Program, and Center for Applied Geometrics, Research and Development Foundation. Via this series, we bring to you reflections on the interdisciplinary approaches and the innovative use converting data knowledge action systems for healthy cities. Hi, this is Shelly Gandhi from CEPT Research and Development Foundation. Today, we bring to you an episode on role of community data in making cities healthy. In this episode, we have Arup Dasgupta, Managing Editor, Geospatial World. I welcome you on this episode. So today we are going to have a very interesting discussion and talk about the importance of having community involved in taking in uh, any decisions and making the cities healthy. So, sir, it would be very interesting to know a little more about uh, how and what are the impacts of data knowledge action systems and how is it building in Indian scenario? Thank you, Shirley, for uh, introducing me and inviting me to this uh, podcast. You asked what is the importance of uh, data knowledge action for urban systems. Uh, I think uh, it's a given because uh, urban systems uh, today are very complex and uh, require a a huge amount of data uh, so that all the systems can be kept uh, running smoothly. And uh, particularly we are talking today in terms of uh, smart cities, And one of the aspects of smartness is that there must be sufficient amount of data available to the citizens of the city. And not only that, but there should be an ability for the citizens to be able to interact, you know, pass on more information, which is of their local area. This is what really would make a smart city. And therefore, data knowledge action is an essential aspect of any city and definitely that of a smart city. Now, uh, when we talk of interactivity of the information, there are many techniques today which were not perhaps available uh, many years ago. For example, a huge amount of secondary data is available today in uh, three ways. One is what you call the surrogate data. That is a data which is representing some other data, okay? So even if you cannot get that data, Uh, By using a surrogate uh, measure, you will be able to get an idea of the actual data. Then the other thing is the crowdsource data, because nowadays everybody carries a mobile phone with them, which is usually a smartphone in most cases. And therefore, a lot of information out of these smartphones can be actually harvested for uh, information. One of the simplest example is harvesting the a position of the uh, smartphone and therefore being able to look at whether uh, there are uh, traffic snarls which are happening in the transportation. But there is uh, also, you know, so social media also is a very good source. For example, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all these are very good sources of, of data which has to be harvested and of course curated. That is most important. And the last but not least is something about people are now talking of neo-geographers. And neo-geographers are basically people 
who have the smartphone and they are intelligent enough to use the smartphone to actually give volunteer information, right? For example, I talked about the transportation, the problem of, let us say, the traffic movement slowing down, which can be done using the, uh, uh, is actually a sense, in a sense, is a surrogate data because you're not there to see the actual traffic movement, but by seeing the slowing down of the position of the smartphone, totally anonymously, you are able to get an idea that there is a traffic uh, slowing down, maybe a traffic jam. Where the volunteered information comes in is if some people who are in that jam are able to offer the information that, look, there is a traffic jam because there is an accident or because there is a breakdown of a large vehicle or because there is a heavy rain and the road is flooded. You know, so this is additional information which is volunteered. So you have surrogate information, you have crowdsourced information, and you have volunteered information. And all these three types of information are essentially where the citizen is feeding back the information into the data knowledge action infrastructure. And this helps the, to run the city. I gave example of transportation. There are n number of uh, things. Uh, sewage distribution problems, water distribution problems, encroachments. I mean, you think of it, every problem has a very good solution in this. Uh, definitely. And the examples and the way you explained uh, the secondary source of data is very interesting to know. However, there are uh, two sides of the coin when we talk about community data. It also comes with the risk that all this data might not be accurate. And at times we would also have to have a system in place which can segregate what is genuinely correct data and what is not. Moreover, there are possible cases where we could have an alternative source of generating the data using the crowdsourcing or community mapping or doing surveys on field to get hold of information, which it indeed becomes very tedious task if we go through the entire process. So I would like to know your thoughts on this. Yeah, it, one point about this kind of data is that you have to curate it. You have to go through it. You have to see, you know, you have to weed out the outliers, as they say. One of the ways that people are doing this is uh, by, you know, looking at the bulk of the data and then seeing which are the outliers and neglecting those. Sometimes there are genuine mistakes. A person may report a particular location wrongly. Uh, you know, it's a genuine mistake, not a not a deliberate one. But then you need to be able to curate and remove this kind of erroneous data. So yes, all this uh, data which comes in from the uh, from the citizens also needs to be curated, and this is one very important aspect. So one of the methods I mentioned is that you actually poll the data, right? So if they have fifty people. And out of those, say, 25 are saying one thing, the others are outliers. So you can trust that those 25 are, is what the correct uh, data is. You neglect the others. So that's that's the way one has to do it. I mean, I'm talking about very, in a very uh, trivial manner, but, you know, is, uh, curation is not that, it, that uh, trivial a process. But yes, it still can be done. There are methods. Definitely. And when we look at the impact of this data sets on urban health, one of the major aspects what has been observed in today's world is that each data also comes along with their locations. Say it's social media or mobile phone, yeah. location data sets are playing a major role in identifying and helping the cities build a more healthier environment. So this is one 
very major aspect. What each city wants to um, go ahead with is to build healthy cities. And uh, there are a number of examples which says how these cities are harnessing the data sets and uh, identifying locations to have different kind of activities within the city to make people uh, more healthier. Yes, definitely. In fact, one of the interesting things uh, I have observed in Europe is uh, the dependence on uh, public transport. You know, you will not find so many private cars uh, on the road as you find, say, in a country like India. The government has ensured that people would rather prefer to take a public transport than take a, their own private vehicle. And there are many ways of doing it. One is, you know, they have a totally integrated system. So you have trains, you have uh, trams, you have buses. All three are integrated whole. So you buy one ticket from point A to point B. And then in the process of traversing point A to point B, you may start off with a tram, get down and get into a bus, get down and get into a train. But the same one ticket holds. So that makes life so much more easy. And uh, the frequency of these trams and trains and interconnectivity is so well done that, I mean, people don't even think twice before taking the public transport. The second thing which I've noticed in, in, in Europe is that they have a huge amount of cycle paths and people are encouraged to take their own cycles if they want to have their own transport. They're encouraged to take cycles. And a very interesting thing that I also found is that every train has provision for keeping those cycles. So, you, you know, the person can uh, ride the cycle to the station, get into the train with the cycle and get off wherever they have to and again cycle down to their point B, so to speak. So all these kind of things are resulting in a much better environment, a much more healthy environment. Carbon emissions are reduced. The use of private vehicles, which are the biggest emitters of uh, carbon dioxide are, are reduced. And people have a much more healthy life, I would like to say. So, you know, these kind of things are, are really uh, something that is good. But I would like to really add to that one more thing. And that is, see, we are into a climate change situation. I mean, there's no two things about it. Uh, you can see all over the world, there are uh, very, very extreme weather events which are happening regularly. Things which would have might have happened in a 10 years or time frame or so are today now almost happening every year. In India itself, you can see now the northeastern monsoon is uh, giving rise to cyclone after cyclone, depression after depression. And cities like Bangalore and uh, Chennai are going underwater. I mean, they're getting a full year's rainfall in one day. So, you know, what another thing that we really need to look at is how do you manage these kind of extreme events? Because these are going to be regular. So how do you improve your drainage? How do you improve the, the quality of uh, your roads? Uh, how do you control the building of uh, structures in areas which are more flood prone? Uh, one of the things that has come out is, for example, that, uh, you know, there are uh, buildings which have come up in floodplain areas. And this is not common to India. It's, it's almost happening everywhere because of the pressure of land and the demand of uh, more and more housing. So when this happens, you, you have a you know disaster built into this kind of a situation. So this is one issue. And uh, the other, and you know, I mean, I think uh, I, I remember, uh, for example, uh, 
reading an article in National Geographic some time ago, where which looked at the tree cover, as simple as that, just look at the tree cover, and they could correlate the tree cover, or rather inversely correlate the tree cover to the uh, the the affluence of the neighborhood. So very affluent neighborhoods have very good tree cover. Lesser affluent neighborhoods, so poor neighborhoods, virtually have no tree cover at all. So again, this is a a long time issue, right? Because with the rising in temperatures, who are going to suffer more? The people who are not having the less tree cover, right? So suffer more means what? So more illnesses, you know, more days lost at work and so forth. So for example, these are certain long-term features which uh, have to be looked at. And uh, this is what really uh, I think uh, we need to do in the same data knowledge uh, paradigm that uh, you know how to okay the, all this information is there but how are we going to put it together and use it that is where the crux of the problem lies um agreed and i think it's a fundamental problem when we talk about healthy cities and the planning paradigm uh, both of them have a gap in between still if you look at certain developing countries there is a major aspect given to the theoretical framework. But when we look at the practical implementation, things are still at a very nascent stage. And that's where it becomes very difficult to involve the citizens at that stage. However, the developing countries should use their citizens as their biggest asset and try and have more of citizens' involvement in collecting the data and use the same data to have more informed decisions. Especially when we talk about the community and um, health of the people, it's very important to know what people want rather than doing what is possible and then take decisions. Uh, so if citizens have a voice in what kind of community has to be built, I believe it would become more uh, livable and people around would be more happier and healthier. So these are like are the rights of the people involved and role of the community while taking the data. What are the data privacy policies which have to be followed? Some of pinching issues which has to be addressed at the beginning level. In fact, data uh, data privacy issues are most important. And uh, you know, uh, unlike Europe, which has got a very strong data uh, privacy policy, or uh, America, which is a very strong policy. Most Asian countries do not have that kind of a strong policy. So this is another area which has to be looked at. Because if you want to share the data of individuals, even if you want to anonymize it, you need to look at the privacy of these uh, sources first. And therefore, you must have a good data privacy uh, law in place. So this is one thing that looks unconnected, but is very much connected. The moment you get into the data paradigm, Definitely. And when we talk about uh, the learning lessons, as we know that every city has a very different kind of nature and tackling the problems of the city also needs a very different kind of skill sets. But uh, when we look at the developed countries and the developing countries, wouldn't it be interesting to have some lessons learned from developed countries while implementing the data knowledge action platforms in developing countries? And if we could also have good handholding process, which would help in saving a lot of man hours as well as financial resources. Well, yes, it's a qualified yes, because uh, you see the problems of uh, uh, the developing nations is a little bit different, mainly because of the high, poly high population that we have. 
many of the uh, things that uh, I have quoted about Europe and so forth were, are easily done because A, they have a fairly well-educated uh, public and B, because their population densities are not as bad as we are. The second problem is that, you know, uh, since being an older kind of uh, civilization, so to speak, uh, all our cities are very old. So the core of the cities is where you will have a lot of problems. Now, they had solutions in the core of the cities uh, for a time when you didn't have motor cars or two-wheelers, but at the best, you might have a cycle, but most of the time, people would walk. So, for example, if you take a, like the old city of Ahmedabad, you know, the poles, as they call it, you know, there's a fantastic environment, you know, if you look at it uh, from that point of view. But now, if you want to modernize it, then, then you run into different kind of problems. So while I agree that there are a lot of good practices which one could look at from the uh, developed world, we have to moderate that absorption, looking at the kind of unique problems that we have in the Asian and developing countries, Asian, African, Latin American, and so forth, where the, the, some of the dimensions of the problem are just totally different, I would say. So we need to study those definitely, but we need to come out with our own solution. I mean, one you mentioned just now about the uh, how do you involve the community, right? It's, it's a problem, I know. But then maybe, you know, one solution is, as you said, uh, use crowdsourcing. So, you know, we have to look at solutions in that way. Solutions for the data collection. And then, of course, there's a, the analysis of the problem, the, the curation of the data, the analysis of data. That's a, totally another ballgame. Yes. And I think on the ending note of this episode, I would like to, you know, emphasize on one of the common problems what the entire world was going through in the last year and is still going through is COVID. And there has been a lot of innovative solutions, a lot of data collection methods, data sourcing methods, which have been implemented by researchers around. So in that process, would you like to quote any good examples which have really flourished well and have been useful in this pandemic? I think that one of the things that really has uh, impressed me is the way we handle the vaccination situation. You know, we started late and everybody kept on saying that, you know, we are too late. And uh, we, by the time we started placing the orders, uh, the vaccine makers had already committed themselves to much larger orders from other countries and so forth. But then the way the whole thing was planned and the way the whole thing was uh, spread out. And today we have a billion plus vaccinations done, of which about 70% are single vaccine. And they start twin vaccines, right? And this is something, considering our uh, situation, uh, you know, as a developing country, as a very crowded country, and having problems of transportation layers, and having uh, best, uh, you know, vaccine hesitancy, sometimes even uh, totally wrong information about vaccines and so forth. But in spite of this, the way we have been able to do this, our deadline was December, and I think we are well on the way. So this entire process, it could not have been done unless there was a fantastic planning done. I would really like to study how that planning was done, uh, you know, because it required a kind of uh, getting the, the vaccines from the uh, ma manufacturers, 
moving them in a particularly regulated environment to the various centers, sub-centers, public health centers, and then getting the people from the other side to come along. The COVID uh, portal, for example, was I think a fantastic which has been done, given all the problems that it has created. But nevertheless, it brought in the two together. On the one side, you have the vaccination system, on the other side, you have the people, and they were brought together very nice. And today we are, I think we are much better off, even though in absolute numbers, we may be now what, 10 or 15%, right? But you look at the situation in our country, we are far, far better off than what's happening in Europe and America. I don't know if it will last from a situation which was absolutely hopeless. We have reached a point where we have something that's fantastically done. Definitely. And I think uh, that's a very interesting example, what you've quoted, because this is something what India has innovated and has carried out very well. It has also become a case study example for a couple of other countries. So a wonderful achievement. And that's a great example where we can say that community and good data planning can actually help to achieve a healthy city. So thank you so much, Das Gupta, sir, for being with us on this episode. And it was really interesting to understand and know more about how community can be involved in planning cities. Thank you. Thank you so much, Shelly. It was a nice uh, conversation. I enjoyed it. Thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to this episode from the Data Knowledge Action for Urban Systems podcast series. If you like our podcast and want to know more about the series, check out our website, www.crdf.org, and follow us on social media. Please leave a review, like, and share wherever you listen to the podcast. Look out for the next episodes and join us next time. Thank you.